0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good
1: morning, everybody. Uh, I did it again. I started the wrong chant. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was announced, I'm going to talk about Hungry Ghosts today because we're having the Sajiki ceremony on Wednesday. I just wondered how many people pretty much already know what a hungry ghost is. Well, a lot of you. All right. Well, going back in the very or the earliest days of Buddhism, historically, hungry ghosts are the denizens of the hungry ghost realm. The hungry ghost realm, which is one of the six realms of samsara, or the six realms of rebirth. People end up being reborn into the hungry ghost realm uh, if they're uh, very greedy and stingy or you know, stingy or jealous kinds of people and if they act out their stinginess or their uh, greediness or their jealousy and do cruel things to other people. If they do that, they will be reborn into the realm of the hungry ghost where they are terribly, terribly tormented by hunger and thirst that can never be satisfied. So, before I talk about them, I thought I might skip down and talk a little bit about the six realms. How many people are pretty familiar with the six realms of the Buddhist cosmology? Six realms of samsara? A lot of you. Well, I'll go over them anyway, because I think they're very important. They're called the realms of rebirth, and even though many of us don't think much about rebirth, at least the standard, you get reborn when you die. We don't think about it that much, but the six realms are, as you many of you, you know, are really states of mind that we are in a lot. And we cycle through the six realms of samsara, and it's very interesting to know as much as you can about them and sort of learn what realm you're in at any given time. And figure out where you would be reborn. Actually, in a way, you are reborn, you're reborn from one realm to another, so that's always happening. So the six realms are very symmetrical, they break up into two big units, basically heaven and hell, and then each heaven has three realms in it, and hell has three realms. And the realms in hell are very neatly uh, correspond to the three poisons of greed, hate, and delusion. The lowest realm is the hell realm, and this is the anger realm, the realm of hatred and anger, and uh, it's characterized by being very claustrophobic, full of a lot of aggression, and when you're in this realm, you feel very trapped in a small, tight place, you don't have any air to breathe, Uh, there's a lot of roasting going on, and (laughs) boiling in cauldrons, and it's really a lot like, you know, what we, even us people that were brought up to think of hell it's a lot what it what it's what it's like there's a lot of orange and yellow and flames <laughs> and, and all that and, uh, so i'm sure that uh, you know that realm from time to time hopefully not too much but and the second highest realm or the one up, up one step from the hell realm because there's a little more space in it is the hungry ghost realm and it's called the I think loka means realm, so the, the preta loka, because these uh, hungry ghosts are called, were called preta in the days of, of Sanskrit. That's the Sanskrit name for them. So it's a preta It's a little bit more spacious, and I'm going to talk about it more, but you know, as I mentioned before, it's, it's full of creatures that are full of desire. Everything is desire, and none of their desires can be met. So they have this insatiable hunger. Then uh, above that, uh, one step above that is the animal realm, and this corresponds to delusion. So the animal realm is uh, filled with creatures that are kind of blind to everything going on around It's like they wear blinders. They just see what's in front of them. They just do what their habit energy tells them to do, what their conditioning tells them to do. Uh, you know, if they're hungry, they may eat junk food, and they watch a lot of TV, they don't really, you know, uh, mindless TV, and not PBS or, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, they don't see very many options. It's, it's kind of really a, uh, unfair uh, to animals, I think, to call this the animal realm, because there's probably some animals that <laughs> live better lives, but <laughs> at least, yeah. So those are the three lower realms, the hell realms, and then the three higher realms are uh, i 'm going to start at the top of that with the God realm, and the God realm is also called the Deva, Loka, the god place, place of the gods in the god when you 're in the God realm, everything is going your way you 're um, kind of blissful you 're kind it 's kind of a hypnotic like state that you 're in when you 're in there because you 're not really seeing anything unpleasant, everything is very pleasant and you, you don't really have to do much, you know, you're well taken care of. If you want to eat some nice fruit, there's trees and, you know, it's a lot like what we think of as maybe as heaven. We don't think too much about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, everything's fine until you start to sort of maybe see something unpleasant and then you kind of fall out of this realm. It's pretty easy to fall out of this realm. Uh, you can also, I think, probably get kind of bored there, too. The next realm down then is the jealous god realm. It's called the Asura Loka. And this is an exciting realm. This is the realm of competition, you know. A lot of famous people spend a lot of time in this realm because it has to do with kind of doing a lot of one upmanship and, you know, a lot of consciousness about where you are and the scheme of things and going up the ladder at work, you know, when you're going up the ladder that's you're in that in that jealous god realm. A lot of competition, achievement—you like the, you know, kind of. Sometimes you think of yourself as a little better than other people, and you're very interested in controlling your own territory. That realm's easy to fall out out of when you lose. You know, it all seems great as long as you're winning, but you lose, you fall out of that realm. And then there's the human realm, which might be a little harder to understand because, well, I don't know, it's a little more complex. The human realm is described as the realm of Discrimination and passion and uh, is where we feel our human uh, emotions, like compassion, or when you're really involved in something you're passionate about and you're totally taken up in it, you're probably in the human realm. Uh, you have hopes and fears, and there's a lot of intelligence. But there's also old age and death in the human realm. And this happens to be the only realm from which one can reach enlightenment. So this is the, the realm of great fortune when you get reborn in the human realm. So remember, even though the God realm sounds very nice, and the jealous God realm sounds like a lot of fun, these are samsaric realms. And so uh, it kind of brings to mind that old story about the guy that died and went to this wonderful, went to heaven, and everything was so nice there, and he was laying around on his divan and you know, eating grapes from the local tree. And it was just great for a few days, and then he started to kind of feel a little restless. And he went to the head guy, and he said you know, I'd kind of like something to do. This is just a little bit too too boring. Uh, is there is there a job I could do? And the head guy said, no jobs here. And he said, well, you know, maybe I'd like to go visit hell for a little while. And it might be a little bit more interesting. And the head guy said, where do you think you are? <laughs> so, I mean, anyway... So, that's a little quick rundown of the realms. They're, uh, they're fascinating, I think, and uh, like I said, it's always nice to know what realm you're in and to see what realm you end up in most of the time and sort of predict where you might be reborn. Uh, my favorite writer that writes about the realms is Trungpa Rinpoche. He, I think he writes about them in just about any book he writes. Uh, he wrote, but I, I read about him first in uh, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism but then he also writes about them in the, the Myth of Freedom. And he writes in a very visceral way, so you can really get, you know, you can really understand what it feels like to be in these different realms. Anyway, let's, let's jump back now to The Hungry Ghosts, and now that we know uh, sort of the, the land that they live in and what that's like. So like I said, they're called the Prata, and their, land, their realm is called the Prataloka. So these preta, these, these um, creatures, that these um, hungry ghosts, are uh, very, very unpleasant-looking. Uh, or most of them are. Actually, there's a guy that wrote a book, and now I'm going to forget his name. He just wrote a book recently about, uh, where he put together a lot of the old ancient tales about uh, hungry ghosts. And he also there's a, he has a video on YouTube and he shows a lot of pictures of them, and they're fascinating because uh, they're more complex than a lot of the pictures I've seen in the past. But most, the most common uh, demarcation of one is it has very, very little mouth, like maybe the size of a, of a, of a pin, of a needle, you know, the hole in a needle, and very, very large stomachs, one place that they're as big as a mountain. And um, they're... Uh, yeah, their life is is an incredibly um, horrible, and horrific. You know, they do things like eat feces and live in in, in the cemeteries, and um, you know, it's a, a real cautionary tale. I'm sure to people to watch their evil karma while they're still alive. They're very preoccupied with the process of becoming rich. Many of them have a poverty, the poverty mentality, which, as you, most of you probably know, is a, a feeling of always being poor, and that there's not enough. There's not enough to go around. There's never enough, so you have to grab everything you can before someone else gets it. They always have a sense of inadequacy. Anything, anything in life is something to consume. (coughs) Everything they look at, it. they look at everything as something outside of themselves and something that they want to grab onto and want to want to consume. So they want to, art, nature. They want to own everything. They're always hungering for new entertainment. They consume one idea after another, trying to make themselves solid and real. So they're suspended in this unfulfilled desire. It's very painful, and they're con- continually searching for satisfaction, like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so there's a, a myth, a Buddhist myth that I hadn't didn't know this, but this has to do with uh, uh, how the sort of the beginning of the hungry ghost ceremonies that have been going on for a couple thousand years. There was a Buddha had a disciple named Mogalana, 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 Mogalana. Mughalana is uh, also Mulian in Chinese so he was a disciple of but he had a lot of supernatural powers and uh, his mother had died and he wanted to find her, wanted, he wanted to find her out in the afterworld, and because he had supernatural powers he was able to spot her and she, she ended up, had ended up in the hungry ghost realm which caused him a lot of grief and she was really suffering and he brought food to her he was able to take food to her Supernatural powers are wonderful. He brought food to his mother in the hungry ghost realm, but when she tried to eat it, it turned into burning charcoal, and so she, as soon as she brought it up to her mouth, so he couldn't he couldn't help her, and he went to the Buddha and said that he couldn't save his mother by himself, and the Buddha said, uh, "Well, but she had done some." never says what she did but he said that she was there for good reason but the only way he was going to be able to help her was if he gathered all of the monks in all of the total Buddhist world gathered them together and they all came together in a ceremony and a ceremony make offerings and, and um, so he did that and his mother was freed from, uh, from the Pratta Loka and uh, so he asked the Buddha if they could do this every year so it became a Buddhist ceremony every year. And the Buddha, I don't know, this is strange, the Buddha even made a deal. He said, everybody who's present at the ceremony, if their parents are still living, their parents will be guaranteed a hundred, they they'll live for a hundred years. There was probably a lot then. Now it's not so abnormal. And they would, um, and then that seven generations back would be freed from the, from the hungry ghost room. So anyway one of those myths. And so that's how this ceremony kind of came into being, very, very early on. So that was in India. So if we jump over to uh, China and the other Asian countries, China, Japan, Vietnam, Verona. China and, and a lot of those countries have strong ancestor worshipping, had folk religions that were very, and worshipping of ancestors was very important. And so these ceremonies have been going on there uh, kind of a, a, with a slightly different, t- different twist. Uh, so they had this ancient tradition of, of uh, and I, I, I don't know if they actually called them hungry ghosts or just ghosts, but their, their emphasis was on their ancestors. So now in, in addition to having uh, uh, people who were reborn into the, this realm because they had done evil things, they also, their, relative, their ancestors ended up there, especially if their ancestors were not honored properly, if they had just kind of forgotten them and uh, uh, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't honor them the way they should, uh, which is a pretty uh, sad situation. So they ended up in, that, in the uh, realm of the hungry ghosts also, and also people that died a horrible death would end up there. So it was very important to the Chinese to, to uh, free, especially, uh, well, anyway, to free their ancestors, because these are their ancestors, and they, uh, so they had these uh, this uh, long-time folk tradition, um, and the giving compassion to their ancestors was very important. So uh, these Asian ghost festivals, they, they were uh, usually held in the ghost month, what they called the ghost month, which was the seventh month of the Chinese calendar, which is late July through late August. So during this month, the gates of hell open up and the hungry ghosts can return to the living and come back and visit their, um, their descendants, their living descendants. They leave food out um, uh, for the ghosts, and they have loud entertainments to try to attract them. So at that ceremony, we're going to have be playing a lot of loud instruments, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to call the ghosts uh, to come and visit. Um, the, and traditionally, in, the, uh, in China, uh, they would have stages, and they, they'd put on all kinds of... Sometimes they put on operas to attract the ghosts, and sometimes they'd put on burlesques and... Uh, who knows what else, but you know, and but there'd always be a row of chairs in the front which would be left empty. I think sometimes it was a red chairs, so they would be left empty. And uh, so, and it was always uh, a certain during that month, there was always a certain amount of worry that harmful ghosts would come back. So they had various scary things to you know, keep those ghosts behaving, try to keep those hosts behaving themselves and I think somewhere I read that that was maybe the beginning of jack-o'-lanterns that's why jack-o'-lanterns are kind of scary looking you know, to keep the ghost keep the harmful ghosts in line and then there's this very touching festival another uh, part of the festival at the end at the end of the, the period when the, the hungry ghosts are welcome it's time for them to go back to hell. And so they have a ceremony where they make little paper boats and they have candles in them and they put them in the water and then they watch them go out in the water and when the candles go out, that means that the hungry ghost has made it and they're back home again. So, of course the candle's always gonna go out, so. So uh, in Japan, which has a, a version of this also, I'm not sure, I mean, it's all different in different places in Asia, you know, how long these things go on. But um, in some places, they do go on for a whole month. I don't know how long they go on in Japan. But uh, in Japan, the, words for, the word for hungry ghost is gaki. And uh, so the hungry hungry ghost ceremony is called uh, sagaki. But today, we call this ceremony now, we call it sujiki, because, and I don't really know... Uh, a story behind this, but apparently gaki is now kind of a racially, uh, it's become some
0: of a racist term you know, in Japan. Do
1: you know anything about that? Or what?
0: I think it's, it's also used for people who are homeless. Oh, okay. So it's, homeless. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> yeah, it's a term of abuse, so mm-hmm. we changed it.
1: So we call it now sujiki. But I guess really what I want to get to today, that's the end of my little history of this ceremony. Um, What's the significance of the hungry ghosts in our modern world? For us uh, now, being as we don't really dwell very much on the idea of rebirth, we don't, I don't know, karma isn't something that we, karma, rebirth, these things are, not so much talked about now, but uh, we think more of hungry ghosts uh, as psychological parts of ourselves—parts uh, that are buried and ignored, parts that were formed when we were children and um, cause us <coughs> suffering. And the parts themselves are suffer, uh, kind of just like those neglected Chinese ancestors. You know, so we've got um, well. So um, what is a ghost, after all? What is a ghost? I read, I don't remember who said this, but a ghost is something uh, something from the past that is lingering in an unhealthy and unhelpful way. It can be anything painful or difficult which continues to haunt us in the present, even though it was something that was born in the past. I was able to, I guess, has anybody has anybody read Lincoln and the Bardo? By, yeah, that, that's a fantastic book to read if you want to kind of understand the uh, pain and suffering of uh, people in the spirit world. Uh, it was written by um, George Saunders, who's a Tibetan Buddhist, and I, I heard an interview with him, and he said that he he doesn't consider himself. He's an amateur. He put it, He's an amateur Tibetan Buddhist, sure. um, like many of us are amateur zen people, zen practitioners, and he. Uh, so he doesn't guarantee that it really. The book really captures the Tibetan realities, but nevertheless, it's a fantastic exposure to uh, the spirit world. I can't wait till the movie comes out. Oh, there's a movie. Well, they're working on one. Ooh. I don't know how much progress they're making. It's got to be very difficult. Did you read it?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm about to, yeah. yeah.
1: So anyway, back to what a ghost. Two th- there's two things that characterize a ghost. It First of all, it persists, and it has a life of its own. So you know you've got a ghost if it's hanging around. and keeps bothering you and keeps bringing up the same old pain. So, Sajiki is about inviting these repressed, unhealthy parts of us to bring them out into the light of day, and let them come forth, so we can see them, and so we can offer them compassion, and so we can nurture them. Um, you know, if any of you have had internal family systems therapy, that's kind of what that's all about—is nurturing the parts of you that are were, were caused from painful times in your life, maybe when you were three years old. You know, and uh, you learn to, you know, kind of hold them in your arms and nurture them and offer them your uh, your guidance as a more mature person now. So you can. So um, if you Google "hungry ghost," um, you'll get a lot of hits on psych- psych- psychologists' websites, therapist websites, and you'll see who will talk about the inability to find satisfaction, about poverty mentality, and about addiction. So, um... It's another aspect of the Hungry Ghost realm, is, is addiction. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about addiction. Um, it's easy to you know, think of addiction as the big stuff, like drug and alcohol addiction, substance abuse. But... Um, I really like what Zinke Dillow said about uh, addiction. I don't know if he said it when he was here, or it's in his book. You know, he's got a wonderful book called The Path of Aliveness. And it may have been in his book that I read this. But anyway, he defines addiction as those habits of grasping and resisting that we feel we can't live without. So he says, every compulsive habit that is difficult to shake is an addiction. So things like our jobs, our power, money, fame, sugar, that's my addiction, my biggest addiction, gossip. We're all addicts, and our legal addictions give us all the ability to have compassion for those who are suffering the stigma of drug and alcohol addiction and homeless people that have those things, those problems, because we can all understand it through our own addictions. And then I found this very beautiful quote, I think, that really spoke, uh, I thought, very eloquently. Uh, it was by a blogger named Rasha Al-Jabi. And she says this. She said, but what about the other less subtle forms of addiction, particularly the ones, in our, the ones our society tends to praise, applaud, and even encourage, like maladaptive perfectionism? And addiction to achievements and our never ending drive to do more, accumulate more, and be more. Doesn't that too qualify as a criteria for the hungry ghost? So, while I'm quoting, I wanted to sort of end with a a quote that really spoke to me. And this quote is from William C. Moyers, um, who is the son of Bill Moyers, the journalist who had uh, fairly very, very serious addiction problems. It, started, it didn't come out until he was in his 20s and already starting to lead a very successful life. Uh, but his uh, addictions, uh, he said he was addicted to just about any drug there was, and uh, uh, he uh, went to the Betty Ford Clinic to, and uh, was uh, at least temporarily cured, and now he's an executive of the, at the Betty Ford Clinic. Anyway, he said this, and I don't know, it really spoke to me. So he said, um, yeah, he writes a whole lot about substance abuse. Maybe many of you are familiar with him. I wasn't. So Um, anyway, he says, I have an illness with origins in the brain, but I also suffer with the other component of this illness. I was born with what I like to call a hole in my soul, a pain that came from the reality that I just wasn't good enough that I wasn't deserving enough, that you weren't paying enough attention to me all the time, that maybe you didn't even like me. For us addicts, recovery is more than just taking a pill or maybe getting a shot. Recovery is also about the spirit and about dealing with that hole in the soul. So hopefully this ceremony on Wednesday will give us a chance to deal with the hole in our soul the hole in the soul of ourselves and of our loved ones and even our dead ancestors, all of whom may be in deep need of some attention from us. So that was all I had to say. I think I've done kind of early. Are there any questions or comments? Or yeah, it's Crystal.
0: I just want to say thank you. That was very moving. Hmm.
1: Thank you. I just realized I didn't want my hearing aids, darn it. <laughs> I do this all the time. <laughs> the most important times that I really need them, I don't have them. So We can shout.
0: What? We'll shout. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what? What'd you say? <laughs> So in the ceremony, you know, we have this incredibly elaborate altar, and it has all kinds of food, junk food, <laughs> fruits and vegetables, all this stuff, and there's actually, you know, an effort, it's a part of the ceremony where the food is prepared for the ghosts, so I just wondered, I've been thinking about this myself, what do you think we're doing in feeding them? Are we actually helping them, or are we... Are we just, you know, like, furthering their addiction, like, oh, here, here's the thing that you want that you think is going to make you happy. What do you think we're doing? Actually,
1: I had something to say about that. Oh, yeah. did you say it? I, I forgot. <laughs> I, I forgot. Um, um, yeah, that's one thing, that the, um, these hungry ghosts uh, are not very um, receptive to the Dharma, and they're not very receptive to anything healthy. That's you how know, so they got where they got. You know, So um, we have to kind of meet them where they are. And so I, I think in some zendos, it's, and I don't know that we do it here, but in some zendos they, can't, they cover up all the uh, Buddhist iconography.
0: Yeah, okay. If we were to do it in here, uh-huh. we would cover the Buddha, and the altar is, there's, a, there's like an anti-altar. It's a separate special mm-hmm. altar, and it would be here. And we and we yeah we, we cover this too until we're ready because we don't want the ghosts to show up too early they'll just ransack the whole thing right <laughs> but the, but the Buddha scares them actually they they so we yeah we it, it's rather ghostly if you cover it with a white cloth <laughs> the first time I saw it it sort of freaked me out um, it looks like a body like a dead sitting body you know? um, so yes yes.
1: Yeah, so I guess that's skillful means we we don't we don't want to ram anything down their throat because they they would not come if they if they uh, are we have to entice them we have to welcome them we welcome them with what we want them we feed them junk food and uh, yeah this you favorite know. I remember hearing something about you have to they have to have really long spoons or something oh. like to feed each other. Or I don't know. I don't know. They have necks. Mm-hmm. They have very, very mm-hmm. long. Yeah, yeah. they got these great big bellies and this really long neck and then this little tiny mouth. So we're hearing. I don't know. Have you ever heard this where they have their spoons are too long to use themselves, but if they could feed, they could feed
0: each other, but they don't <laughs> <Yeah, there's laughs> the because they're very <laughs> too stingy to feed. Yeah, <laughs> that's heaven. Heaven is actually feeding each other. Oh, ah, okay, very long. Okay. Long chopsticks, where you help each other because oh, okay, you can't okay. do that for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got a question. So, just to continue off of, if if what you're trying to do, we're trying to do is entice them to come, right? Not scare them off with things that you know won't, uh, would scare them off. Then what? What's the what's the point?
1: They're here, they're still hungry ghosts, so we're gonna send them back to Hungry Ghost Land, whatever. But like what do we do with them here? What's the what's the point? We love them.
0: <laughs> How do we love them? I'm sorry, I'm just saying now it's like yeah.
1: I don't know attention. if there's any prescribed thing or we're we're, we're we pay supposed attention to. to them. What? We give them the attention. Yeah, and we give them offerings. We give, I guess the offerings are really the what we give them offerings, and and actually we give them offerings throughout the year. You know that's what we do at Orioki at the end of the meal. We're giving offerings to the hungry ghosts when we dump our, put our water back into them. Yeah. You know, but
0: I I think it's that it's the fact that we remember though. When my mother was dying, she was her big fear was that she would be forgotten, and she
1: said every night before you go to sleep, would you just think of me? And, and so I
0: think just having our ancestors coming, no matter what realm they're in, the fact that we remember, them yeah, yeah, right. it's like cocoa. A, a cocoa. We yeah. give them cocoa. <laughs> yeah. No, it's no, no, a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. that's an idea, <laughs> It's like no, it's like the Mexican bardo, yeah, you know, yeah. which is really very interesting. How you know these are all cross-cultural kinds of attitudes, so, that, you know, it's very prevalent in Asia, but not just Asia, that the ancestors are present, and once a year, they cross over back into the realm of the living. So there's there's that aspect, and we give them traditional offerings that, you know, of water and sweet water and tea and rice, which are traditional offerings to our human ancestors, and then all this junk food, and, and other, and colorful foods, it's not just junk, but like... You know bananas and mangoes, things that are pretty. You know towers of oranges, things like that. And and we try to integrate that. These supposedly other terrifying. You know, we're all afraid of dying on some level, right? We're afraid of the suffering we might undergo or that we've seen when people we love have died. And we bring it all to the light. We bring and we integrate it, just you know, as once a year. And uh, the idea of feeding and. Offering drink to spirits is extremely old and cross-cultural. The dead are often thought of as thirsty, yeah. so we, we pay attention to them, yeah. and, and to seemed, ourselves.
1: It seems to me there's a level of this, too, that, well, it's just like any, anything we do for the dead, or memorial services that we have, or whatever, are very comforting to all of us, because um, you know we can feel comfortable about what will be done for us when we're dead. Nathan. There's a, there's a, when you said bringing them into the light, when you said there were like psychological aspects of ourselves,
0: you know, to I me mean, there, there's an analog there uh, in in psychoanalysis. It's re- to make the unconscious conscious. It's, so that would be like a a reason to do it. I would think.
1: Oh, just the fact that we're just bringing them out yeah, up here, here and, with and us. Just, this is real, this is, instead of pushing it away, it's yeah. sort of not, it's sort of being like, this doesn't exist, I'll look the other way, maybe it'll go away, sort yeah. of like facing it. Yes, exactly, kind of like Sherry is saying, that just yeah. Just having them here is, is maybe the most important thing, and seeing them, looking at them, right. eating them. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I guess it's time for tea and cookies.